If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. We are so excited about this episode. We want to uh, just jump right in. My name is Keith Giles. I am one of the three co-hosts of the podcast. I'm the author of several books, including Jesus Unbound, Liberating the Word of God from the Bible. And uh, I am joined by my co-host, Matt and Jamal. Hey, guys. Say hi. Hi, friends. <laughs> How are you? This is Jamal. Uh, I am uh, an author, the author of Free to Love and Soon to Be. In uh, just a couple few weeks here, actually almost a month, uh, April 15th, uh, will be the release of my second book, which will be called Living for a Living. Super excited about that. So, And it's good to be back on the Heretic Happy Hour with you guys. Yeah, and that means I'm Matthew J. DeStefano, author of Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Oh, oh wait, that's wait, not it. What? <laughs> <laughs> author of Heretic. I'm on the other side, actually. Yeah. And a couple other books, and soon to be a podcaster, a podcast host of a different show. That doesn't mean I'm leaving you guys, though. So You're don't cheating worry. on us. You're cheating on us with so, another podcast. Uh, oh, oh, yes. <laughs> Shots fired. Uh, yeah, excited to be here for yet another episode of the Heretic Happy Hour. Well, all right. Mm. And uh, I also need to also uh, make a little uh, disclaimer here. So, parents, if you have children in the room, you might want to ask them to leave because we are still in our sex series. And today's episode is going to be about something a little touchy. Uh, it's about masturbation. Ah. <laughs> That's the first time Keith's ever gotten the, the rusty trombone. <laughs> That's the first time. Yeah. Um, so I also want to I also have to say uh, this episode is sponsored uh, by the Hope Center, a community resource center serving one of Alabama's poorest communities by providing a neighborhood market where neighbors can shop for food at no cost in an atmosphere of love and respect. Please visit their website at servealabama.org for more information. Guys, um, if this is just my opinion, and I know people may disagree with this, but I, it's my opinion that a podcast has not arrived until they get a hotline. I, I, I agree. I agree. That's and, what I hear. Uh, yeah. And we have a hotline, of course. Damn and right. So, in this, that may, that makes the Heretic Happy Hour uh, one of the most unique podcasts um, in existence today. And so, our number is two four zero three four three seven three seven nine. That is the number to the hotline. You can call it twenty four hours a day. You can text it. You can, you know, anything you want to say. You know, you can share it. Uh, we it it probably will make the cut and we will address it at some point, but maybe not, but we'll, you know, just take your, take your chances. But we do have a voicemail that came into the hotline. So can we cue that up? Hey, this is Reverend um, Omar in Flowers Cove, Newfoundland. You can look it up on the map. It's way North in Canada, but I'm originally from Brooklyn. So, and I'm an Anglican priest, by the way, um, I was listening to your podcast on porn and while I thought it was actually pretty interesting and informative on one sense, I kind of felt that you guys kind of left it flat on the on another sense. Because when I was listening to you, I was thinking about the things you were bringing up sound like the same kind of 
things that evangelicals would bring up. Porn is bad. Uh, you know, uh, that porn can be addictive, that, you know, porn is misogynistic. And some of these things are true, but I think that there are also aspects of porn that can be very um, liberating and enlightening. But anyway, I, I'm wondering if you guys could um, talk about that more. But I'm also hoping that w when you start talking more about sex, that you're going to talk about the future of sex, um, r robot sex, for example, um, you know, gadgets, things like that, virtual reality. Porn isn't going away. Now, the question is, how are we going to deal with it? Or the question I would ask as a minister is, how can it be transformed to something that can be edifying and enlightening? Anyway, love your show. Keep up the good work. Wow. So, you know, I just got a great idea for a new video channel I'm going to start on YouTube. What? Robot sex? Um, using porn as a ministry. I think that's a, he's got a great idea there. That's really cool. No one's ever done that. I mean, I don't think they have. Well, no. Um, what was that show? I was watching a show on Netflix. It was um, with, Ki with Killer Mike, and, and he uses porn to teach people how to do uh, tasks. So if you want to fix your, uh, if you want to fix your sink, He's got like two people having sex while while giving instructions and it totally works. Wow. So, you know, like we could do sort of like a porn version of the, what is it? The five spiritual laws or four spiritual laws. I forgot how many there are laws there are. You know, I mean, come on, people would watch it and you are giving, you know, really important information. But in all seriousness, I know this guy is serious. So, um, we're, we're trying to make light of it. But I think... um. Well, I, I think it's sort of an opinion, right? I mean, different people have different opinions on pornography. Some people don't feel like there is really much redeeming value to pornography. And I think I'm one of those people. I, I, again, just because I've had such a negative experience with it, and I see it as something to kind of avoid and get away from. I don't want, I don't want it in my mind or in my life at all. So it's difficult for me to kind of take a step back and say, huh, how can pornography be uh, a good thing or how can this you know or even to say like the future of sex like with robots and that kind of a thing like um i don't even know what to say about that uh, I, i'm sure those things i know those things are already happening uh people sell you know uh sex dolls and that kind of thing that are very realistic and that react and respond and all that stuff but um yeah i don't know that that, that if we were going to cover that i think that would have to be a whole another episode yeah you know <laughs> First of all, I, I've, I'm impressed that we have listeners in Newfoundland. That's that's amazing. That's so cool. So I'm glad that uh, the listeners up there. Um, yeah, it's one of the places I want to. I've, I've always wanted to visit, so I'm sure it's beautiful. But his question, I think, is really interesting um, about redeeming. You know, what is the redeeming qualities in pornography? What are uh, redeeming? You know, where is sex going in the future? Sex is super fascinating. You know, um, topic. I think for me personally, so much from what I understand, again, I agree with the caller that porn is not going away uh, in that sense. It's, you know, but I, I, I can't help but think that the way we approach porn or I would say we in the same typical sense of like how the porn industry is typically viewed or shaped or you know, engaged with is a direct result of, I believe, how we 
our fundamental or groundwork assumptions of how we understand sexuality in itself, how we approach sexuality. And I think our topic today that we're going to be talking about um, will has a potential to actually like if people like really if we if we, <clears throat> if we revisit how do we view sexuality at a very fundamental basic level could affect how we engage um with with anything and specifically i think it will affect how people engage with porn or view porn you know so it, it to i still can't get over the fact that that a huge percentage of porn users at least in north america tend to be um people with religious backgrounds <clears throat> i mean it's just I don't know. I mean, I'm sure porn is probably more widespread than just in the Bible Belt, but the Bible Belt is a huge cons- consumer of pornography in the way that we know it today. So I, I happen to think that that has to do with as a reaction to you know unconscious views of of humanity and and sexuality. So I don't know. But I think I think we could probably talk a little more about that, but we'll get into you know when we get into our our topic. Yeah, I just have a quick thing here. Um, I appreciate the the voicemail, and I am totally on board with where um, where the caller is coming from. And it's actually funny because I got some shit in the Facebook group. Not some shit, but someone was disappointed with how my thoughts on porn. And, and basically, I was like, well, yeah, if it helps build you up, if it helps you with whatever, and it works for you, and it doesn't keep you from having a healthy sexuality, then go for it. And so someone was disappointed by my response on that. And I've, I've actually been uh, getting some more kind of shit online outside the Facebook group for my stance on porn and, and not, um, not denouncing the porn industry and because it's linked to sex trafficking and all those things. And, and I would totally denounce that. But on the same time, I wouldn't go so far as to say porn as such then is bad. So, yeah, I, I would I would go on the record to say that if porn does edify and does help you become more free uh, sexually or or what have you, then you have to evaluate that for yourself. And I think a lot of us are speaking from our personal experiences. And if we've had personal experiences that are poor or um, that brought us down or what have you, then we're going to speak from that place. So Keith, if if you've had a negative experience with porn, you're going to speak from that. Place. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and that's, you know, we're all going to do that. And as far as like robot sex, it's one of those things like I haven't I haven't worked that through yet with my worldview to get to that place. So I guess personally, like I would have nothing to add to the conversation on that. And that's just because I've learned if I'm ignorant on something that I it's not time to talk. So that's good. That's just me. Yeah, personally. that's good. All right. I, do we have we have a text, right? We have a text. Yes. Okay, here's a text. Quote, God listens to your podcast, and he definitely disagrees. <laughs> ha, but when has that ever stopped good theology? Keep trudging forward, orthodox heretics. Ooh. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, I'm glad. Although I do yeah. think, I think, well, I mean, I think God does agree, though. I don't think God disagrees. I, I think uh, we're obviously on the side of God. Right. Of course. Well, and, and, a, and a part of the spirit of the heretic happy hour is that you can, God, if you're listening, and you disagree, come on the show. That's what we do here on the Heretic Happy Hour. We disagree that's with right, each other, God. and that's that's cool. Well, I'm here, guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, gosh. 
So uh, God, God, if you're out there, call the hotline 240-343. Oh, you already have the number. Now, of course, he knows it. He knows all. But of course, I don't need to tell you. That's right. So we before we get into our Heretic of the Week, just got a couple announcements here. Of course, please bookmark this site, heretichappyhour.com. That's where you can listen to the show. You can find our store. You can. That's basically your landing page for everything Heretic Happy Hour. And I just want to say that we have a Facebook group. And I would love it if more people who actually listen to the podcast join the Facebook group. <laughs> that uh, would because, be great. Because I'm pretty sure... <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's still to this day people who are in the Facebook group who don't listen to the show. So if you're listening to the show and you're not in the Facebook group, just hit that search bar up at the top and look for, look for Heretic Happy Hour. Join the group. Ask the three little questions. When you answer those, we'll bring you in. You'll get through the pearly gates of the Facebook group. And then we can have some more discussions about some of the show topics because that's what the group is for. Yeah, but the group is, in my opinion, I'm just speaking from, I think is lame, man. It has been driving me insane. And I like, I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with like, why can't we just <laughs> carry over? Why, don't, why can't, why can't the Facebook group be about the podcast and carry the same ethos of the podcast? That's just my question. It's a, it's a, it, I'm, I'm stuck. Well, well, because here's it, why, so. because um, imagine if everybody in the Facebook group was on this podcast right now, and they all had a microphone and all those microphones were turned on. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's kind of what it is because everyone can talk. Everyone can take it a different direction. And so it's, so it's chaos, right? And, and there's always going to be some level of chaos in a Facebook group. Um, I'm, I'm sort of okay with, the, with some of it. I think I only get upset when one or two people kind of make it personal and you start getting these arguments and stuff. And Anyway, we don't we don't need to air, air the laundry here and the, on the podcast right. about the Facebook group. Right. But but what we would encourage you is if you are in the Facebook group and you do love the podcast, uh, please help us to keep uh, keep that a safe place and uh, as much as possible keep us on the topics, uh, not on people. And that would be so much better. Well said. Well said. Amen, brother. That's right, brother. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to take this time to also let you know that we have a Patreon page. So this is for people who are like your heretic happy hour freaks. You listen to this podcast. And as soon as you're done, you're like, I wish I could listen to another 20 minutes. And we got you covered because if you go to the Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash heretic happy hour, um, you can you can join at any of the tiers, and then you can get all kinds of like bonus content. We actually record bonus interview content, bonus uh, podcast discussions. Um, we we've been posting all kinds of other just extra cool stuff as well to the podcast. Uh, we do a webinar uh, once a month that mm -hmm. you can you can join, which is those by the way have been amazing. And you fun. also have access. Yeah, there's so much fun. Yeah, the one we just did was actually my favorite one we ever did, and um, it was like last weekend. And um, anyway, yeah, there's all kinds of cool stuff there. So uh, if you can't get enough of the Heretic Happy Hour, I encourage you to, to support what we do uh, on the Patreon page and you will be well rewarded. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. That's right. Wow. So um, I believe I believe that we have a Heretic of the Week. It's the Heretic of the Week. Hey, I'm Cindy Wong Brandt and I am a heretic. Hi, Cindy. Cindy. <laughs> sorry hilarious no, no everyone has everyone has the same reaction don't worry <laughs> okay <laughs> so cindy um, hey this is matt here i'm so glad you decided to join us as our heretic of the week 
If you're not familiar with the show, what we like to ask our guests, the, fir what, what the, the first question we like to ask our guests is why would, why in the world would some people consider you a heretic? You know, I just had um, an interaction this morning on Facebook because last night I posted on my page, I said something like, you are not a sinner, you have not sinned. And people kind of freaked out about that. Whoa. And I think people think I'm a heretic because I don't really care that much about holding sacred any religious institution. Um, I think of myself as a writer, which means I'm a truth teller. And I feel like I'm just going to tell the truth as I experience it and understand it. And if it upsets people who hold these institutions or rituals as very sacred, then I get it. Um, I can understand that they're upset by it, but I think that's why they consider me a heretic. Wow, I like you already. Yeah, right. You fit right <laughs> in with the show. People, love yes, it. you do. It, it actually we we had a uh, we had a musician on uh, a, a bunch of episodes back, Derek Webb, and mm. you mentioned you're a writer. He's a musician, and it's almost like you said the same thing. Like an artist's job is to describe the world around them. Or right. a writer's job is to describe the world around them in the most truthful way possible. Right. And some, sometimes that seems to upset people. Yeah, because the reality is our human experience can't be contained in a doctrine or dogma or anything that's static because we are always changing and we're so dynamic and we evolve. And so anything that's written or enshrined in any sort of you know, constitution will never be able to catch up with the things that we're doing and changing and learning. Um, it's not to say that we can't have those things. I think it's, it's necessary to live in society in like any sort of cohesive way. Um, but to say that our human story should always trump those institutions, uh, anytime there's like a conflict between our stories and, um, and, and the institution, then we should prioritize the human. Yeah, I, I like that idea. I wish more people felt that way. Um, yeah, because I think you're right. Most of our problems stem from loyalty to doctrines, denominations, really systems of institutions and systems of power and control, mm -hmm. um, which if once you have left that, I mean, I was raised in that, you know, that's kind of the whole Christian experience that I had in the beginning was right. you enter it sort of <clears throat> with your eyes you, you don't really know what you're getting into, right? Uh, and then um, then you kind of eventually you realize, oh, wait a minute, this this whole thing is sort of about controlling me and my behaviors and don't think this, don't do this, right? It's very behavior modification stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But in whatever ways you can leave it, once you step outside of it and you can kind of step away from it and look at it and you see it for what it is, then it's like, well, I can never go back to that again. Yeah, I think Brian McLaren has said on my podcast, he said that the one thing fundamentalists fear the most is chaos. And mm. the thing about holding on to those doctrines is that it, it makes you feel like you can still control things and that things won't dissolve into chaos. And I think for a lot of us who have maybe moved away from that way of thinking, we realize, first of all, chaos is, isn't the end of the world. Sometimes things get messy before they get better. And secondly, really, it doesn't get as chaotic as people think, because if you think about it, lots of people live as secular humanists or atheists or other religions, and they still manage to go to work and go to sleep and 
have families. Um, it's not as chaotic as you know re- religious gatekeepers would have you fear. Right. Okay. But that's, yeah, that's, that's the thing. Now I was going to quickly say that's the that's the ticket right there. That last word you said is fear. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 I was just going to say I feel like sometimes though even that fear and control that they have it's an illusion because mm-hmm. they're you know you sort of say well everybody for example like hey everybody who's, who joins this church has to go through this course this sort of like new believers class or whatever they call it new members class mm-hmm. and then uh, you all at the end of it will sign a document where you agree with these 10 doctrines, right? Yeah. And then we'll baptize you and blah, blah, blah. But see, the thing is, so you've sort of, in an outward way, you've sort of told everybody they're they're supposed to believe these things to be in the club. But in reality, the majority of people don't really, you know, believe everything that they check the boxes for. Like, well, I believe most of it, but I don't, I'm not sure about that or the other thing. Yeah. But I'll go along with it, right? I'll pretend because I want to be in the club. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And there's just such a high cost to not being in the club that people will say whatever, do whatever, right. sign whatever to to be to be in it. And but it's so true. And what's sad about that is that you then begin to live double double lives because you know you signed this thing, but you know you live this one other way. So you have to compartmentalize, like split your personality into the way you behave when you're supposed to behave a certain way. Um, mm-hmm. And I just think that's not healthy. It's not healthy to live in this constant split personality. Mm-hmm. Right. And, yeah. and a, a lot of people, I mean, it's untenable as well. So it's not only unhealthy, mm-hmm. but the, the more you go along that road, it seems, at least for a lot of people, that it's very untenable to, to continue to go down that road, mm-hmm. uh, which, which I suppose brings me to our second question that we like to ask folks is Mm -hmm. that um if you were raised in this sort of church what what was that process like of breaking free from from that sort of religiosity and Mm -hmm. are there some certain events or doctrines that stood out that you were just like man i can't i can't believe this anymore and this is Mm -hmm. why for me, it was, it was everything, you know, I've been, I say I deconstructed in my thirties and I'm 41 now. Um, so I feel like I'm, I'm starting to have a few years between my most intense deconstructing years. And the more I am away from it, the less I remember how angsty it was. Um, but if I force myself to remember it was, it was really, really hard. And it just shows you how effective that religious control is because I resisted leaving um, those ideas and the, that community. Um, so, I, I mean, do you want me to tell you about why I deconstructed or how I felt while I was deconstructing? Because do both. Yeah, gonna... <laughs> well, yeah, okay. if you if yeah, if you have time to do both, that would be wonderful sure. because I think I think often the two go kind of together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was raised conservative evangelical. I am a missionary convert. So I am born and raised in Taiwan, but I converted into Christianity by Christian missionaries. Um, And so for me, the gospel has always been really wrapped up in this like evangelical machine. And um, 
Uh, and so I was, I was a very successful convert because I was really committed. Uh, it's just my personality to kind of go all in. And I actually became a missionary myself. I went to Christian college. I went to Wheaton and I went mm. to seminary and I became a career missionary. Like, yeah, I was deep, deep into it. And um, <laughs> yeah. And then I feel like there's a lot of my deconstruction story that's similar to other people where you just kind of slowly like, okay, I'm a woman and I'm a woman of color, right? So slowly I realized, oh, there's a lot about the system that's not built for me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And so as you unpeel those layers, you start to be like, oh, this is, this is not fair. This is not just, this is not right. This is not the gospel. Right. Um, and so for me, it was both this gradual kind of unpeeling of all these layers, but I also have a trans brother who came out more than 10 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. And this is uh -huh. like before the whole trans conversation is, is in the public scene. And so yeah, that was really sure. a jarring experience and, and dramatic for my personal family life. And so, so I had both that gradual experience of deconstructing and this really sudden um, think, you know, think that we had to confront as a family. How are we? And, and it goes back to that human stories over institutions. Am I going to believe my brother um, mm -hmm. that he believes he is a, a, a man? Or am I going to care so much about religious doctrine that I reject him? And, mm. you know, I made my choice. Yeah. And that's, that's how that's that's what it's been like, and and then it's just been okay. Well, what does it look like to um, to be willing to be honest, to challenge my presuppositions, to realize that I spent much of my formational years in a system that really was toxic in many ways, and then that's that's the part that it's hard to even talk about without getting emotional because that was painful. And I faced rejection from my community, and um, yeah, so it was it was not an easy road. But I think that the reason I'm starting to forget it is because of how free I feel now, and mm -hmm. that I can't imagine not having gone through that where I'm at. It's like I feel so much more powerful and liberated, mm -hmm. and and hopeful about the future because this is just the beginning, right? I feel like I'm feel like I'm reborn in a way uh, mm -hmm. to use evangelical lingo. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, yeah, so I have, you know, I'm doing, doing so much better that uh, I, I sometimes forget how hard it was to, to move away from it. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I tell you what, Cindy, first of all, you're not alone in this kind of story that you're telling. I just want to say thank you because I think you've, you chose wisely. You chose your mm -hmm. own family. You chose your brother. You chose freedom um, yeah. and love. Really. I mean, I think all those things are things that Jesus would say, way to go. <laughs> That's much so much yeah. better, you know. But but at the same time, like you said, it is painful uh, yeah. because unfortunately we have we do have these connections and relationships that are uh, in the in the church that you know they're not willing to come with us. When we, mm -hmm. when we say, well, we can't, we can't go there. You know, we reach this point in the path where yeah. we have to say, well, I can't go any farther than this, or I have to make a choice. Right. Um, well, so where did you go after that? So you went through this, this painful period of deconstruction. 
Mm-hmm. You had to sort of reorient yourself and figure out what you, who you stood with and what you could accept or not accept. Right. Can you talk a little bit about like where you landed and what did you decide to do after that? Yeah, I was, I felt like I was kind of in the system, but not of the system for a long time um, in terms of still identifying as an evangelical, but kind of disagreeing with everything evangelicalism stood for. (laughs) (laughs) I I sustained myself in that space for far longer than I should have. And again, I think it's because of just how, how much I was maybe afraid of losing that belonging. Um, but eventually it came to a head. Um, so I was working at a conservative evangelical school and I posted pictures from a pride parade and I was asked to stop posting things like that because it goes against their dogma. And so I chose to quit my job and because I, I just couldn't, uh, yeah, I chose myself. I chose my voice and, and what I stood for. Right. And so that was, that's gangster. (laughs) So that's, that was kind of my hard break. And that was the point where I was like, you know, I can't keep identifying as part of the system when they keep pushing me out, you know, like that's, there's at some point where I just have to say, okay, I've, I've really tried and it's, I'm, I just don't belong here. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, now I kind of identify as an ex-evangelical because I, I use that label because it still describes that for, you know, 30 some years of my life, that was my world. And so that's still part of who I am, but I don't, I'm not part of it anymore. (laughs) And that's kind of where I am. And and so when I was working at the school, I was also starting to write and blog and I wasn't ready to go full-time writing, but I didn't have a choice, right? (laughs) It just, it just happened before I was ready. So I just decided to go full-time doing what I do now, which is just you know, content creation, writing books and blogs and, and podcasting. Um, and so I do this now full time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I know I've seen some posts on social media about a new book and we're going to get there. But I feel like I have to take like a really radical turn because this is a very unique episode that we're going to be talking about. And I know I reached out to you about this that to see if you're comfortable with talking about this issue. Mm-hmm. But this episode's about masturbation. What? And I know that's that's like a radical <laughs> term. There's no segue. Like like yeah. fuck the segue. But there's a nat- was there a natural progression? Can we just slowly work our no, way into that? No, no. Well, there's, no, we're not there's really no we're way not... to slowly no. ease into masturbation. <laughs> right, 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 right. Which is why I thought I would just jump in and just go for it. Yeah. Ha- since you're a writer, have you ever written about the topic of masturbation? And if so, what are your thoughts about it? Yeah, I have. Um, I wrote about it in my book, actually. So, so can wow. I can I talk about my book real fast? Please um, do. Yes, please. I would love to hear that. Yeah, because it's kind of related to the conversation we're having now. So my story is that I, you know, grew up conservative, kind of went through this deconstruction, and then I had had kids. Some somewhere in this timeline, I had children, um, and so when you have kids, all of a sudden this deconstruction process becomes very practical and personal because you have to pass on your faith to these tiny humans. And you're going through this confusing process um, that's kind of messing you up in all kinds of ways while you still have the responsibility of a parent. 
Um, and so I started like a Facebook group called Raising Children on Fundamentalists, basically saying, hey, how do we do this? How do we share our faith with the next generation when we don't even know what we believe anymore? What are the values that we care about? Um, how should we do this thing? And so that's where my book comes from. My book is called Parenting Forward. So it's kind of like the next phase of the evolution. Like, okay, now that we've gone through de deconstruction or going through it, what, how do we move forward? How do we raise the next generation? How do we pass on a legacy of our faith? Um, and so in my book, I kind of lay out my, my new values, right? Um, I, mm. I believe mm. that we should raise our children with a lot more autonomy than I was raised in with all the religious control that we talked about. Um, and I talk about uh, sexual identity and sexual orientation and just sex in general, because that was actually a, a huge part of the system that we were brought up in. Like, I think we're familiar with the yes. term purity culture, oh, where yeah, it's course. like abstinence yeah. only and just this a lot of shame involved in sex and and pleasure and masturbation. And so I in my book, I, I just briefly touch on it, but it's. I want to um, give agency back to children. And I think a lot of sexual agency is understanding desire, understanding your own desires, <clears throat> excuse me, understanding your own desires and pleasure, which I feel like masturbation can help you understand yourself more. Um, and so I believe in stripping shame away from boys. I think boys are shame for masturbating masturbating yeah. Girl, girls are shame for other things but um so i i do want to kind of take the stigma away and i mean there's still conversation to be had about like privacy and you know uh you know moderation and <laughs> and all these mm -hmm. things um when, when it comes to like a parent and a child conversation but i do believe in stripping the shame away from all of those conversations yeah I, and oh, sorry, because I, I, I actually just listened to a podcast about porn. <laughs> and again, I think that porn is one of those things where like fundamentalists are very, very afraid of because they're afraid of chaos. Um, well, anyway, I won't get into the whole subject of porn unless you want to. But listening to that podcast about porn, they just kind of interviewed all these different kinds of people. I realized just how different people are. Like some people are impacted by porn in different ways. Some people have different like ethical standards applied to porn. Um, so I, I just think that the purity culture does not address the diversity of human beings and, uh, and our sexuality. Like it just is too binary. It's too restricted. We're so much more um, beautifully diverse than, than, than that way of teaching. Yeah, no, I... I think I agree with everything that you said, except for one thing. And the first thing, I'm glad you mentioned porn because that's that's my that's where I'm at. It's like like for all the negative that the porn industry is, and for all the negative that uh, uh, that porn can be, mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't then go so far as to say like it's bad as such. Mm -hmm. Just like. Just like, let's say the drug industry causes a lot of problems. Why does it cause problems? Well, because mm -hmm. of X, Y, and Z. It's, it's not necessarily that all quote unquote drugs are bad. So right. I'm glad that you mentioned that. 
There is one thing I think I would want to, and I, and I'll ask you this just to maybe have you clarify, is that you emphasize that masturbation is especially uh, men or or boys are especially shamed for masturbating, and I guess I would sort of I I agree with that. Like I had mm-hmm. every young every young man's battle, and I was told like the solution to not masturbating is don't masturbate. <laughs> well, work. I think we were told that like, girls it, it, just don't masturbate. Right. No, exactly. Which is well, no, no, and that's, it was just ignored. And, and right. that was... Right. Yeah, and that was going to lead to my question is that, well, it's just ignored or it's said that girls don't masturbate. But I think that if they did, it would be even more especially shamed because it would be so taboo. Right, right. And, I, yeah. and maybe if I can get your thoughts on that, like I think that's where the purity culture especially shames women is that mm-hmm. if they did act like boys, let's say in that sort of like uh, stereotype, yeah. they would be then <clears throat> even shamed, but like shamed on steroids. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. I think it just was like, a, we just don't, it's so shame that we didn't even talk about it, but yes, I, I think we were definitely raised to feel like girls don't have any sexual desire. Um, sure. So that's just simply untrue. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like I really like what you're where you're going with it, Cindy, because it's like, um, it, like how how much better would it be? And I'm sure your book goes into this, uh, so maybe you can elaborate on this a little bit. But by simply just speaking to our children uh, about mm-hmm. their sexuality and masturbation, if we treated it like no big deal, yeah. then then guess what? It probably wouldn't be a big deal. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Seriously, once you step out of that purity culture, it's things are not as complicated as people think it is, nor as scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's, right. there's a lot of research, there's a lot of people who are doing work that are reasonable and that help us inform these conversations. I, I want, I want us to be able to have reasonable conversations and nuanced conversations that can include the complexity of everyone's individual sexuality. Um, and, and I really, again, want to emphasize giving our kids, our teenagers, the agency to kind of determine their sexual ethic. Like that's, that's all that matters. It's like, it doesn't matter how much you, you have a sexual ethic you want to apply to your kids. They're going to kind of do what they want. Um, I think Mm -hmm. we see this even in conservative evangelical families. It's like teenagers are having sex, no matter how much abstinence teaching you're giving them. Right. Um, yeah. And so why not then just openly say, okay, listen, we know you're going to determine for yourself. Help us, let us help you understand the, the tools and the information and, and the power to, um, to decide how you want to live your life and your, your sex life. Yeah. But see, here's the thing. We've known for probably at least a decade or two now that, I mean, the research is there. That if you mm-hmm. want to cut down on teen pregnancy, uh, if you want to cut down on STDs, if you want to cut down even on abortions, then mm-hmm. the way to do that is sex education and provide yeah. young people with um, contraceptives. Contraception. This just makes too much sense because most <laughs> most Christians are like, <laughs> oh, no, 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 we can't do that. But yet we yeah. still want to say, Christians still want to say we're against abortion, we're against sex, we're against you know all these other things that, that are the, the byproduct. But we're refusing yeah. the common sense solutions that are right in front of us. Like we, it's like we can't let ourselves go there. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's frustrating. I don't, I don't know what to say. All I know is I think those of us who do see it for the, how reasonable it is needs to just keep insisting. Otherwise, right. otherwise we're just going to be gaslit, you know, like yep. don't be gaslit. Speak <laughs> the truth. Like, this is the truth. This is, this makes sense. Let's, this is what we should do. Right. I don't know. I don't yeah. know what else to do except yeah. to, to just say what I know to be true. Just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just keep, keep on keeping on. That's all you can do. I, um, yeah. Uh, so, so as we, as we wrap up here, Cindy, mm -hmm. what are you doing? Because I know you got a book out and where can people, what is the title of that? Where can people get a hold of that? Because I've, I haven't read it myself, but I'm going to tell you, my wife and I are going to read it together and I look forward to it. So, and I've heard great things. Mm. So where can people, where can people get, uh, get in touch with you and get a hold of this? Book? Yeah. I mean, my book is still kind of sold wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, any, any bookstore. Um, it's called Parenting Forward, How to Raise Your Children with Justice, Mercy, and Kindness. Uh, you can also find all of my work. I also have a podcast by the same name, Parenting Forward, but you can find all of that information on my website, cindywongbrandt.com. Um, and I also just kind of want to plug my Facebook group, which is called Raising Children Unfundamentalist. If anyone is interested in having these discussions further, you're welcome to join my group there. Awesome. Wow, Cindy, this was awesome. Great. I'm in that group. I'm in that group. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, super. This has been really great, Cindy. Thank you so much for, for talking with us and sharing your story as well as your ideas in the book, which I'm also looking forward to uh, learning more about. So thank you so much. Thank you for having right. me. Yeah, thanks. Peace out. Jamal, where were you? You were yeah, I, was a a I was just agreeing. I was, I was like shaking mm -hmm. my head, you know, there's a lot of nodding. Yeah. <laughs> nodding. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. But that, that doesn't, that doesn't come, that doesn't come through <laughs> on the mic though. Oh, dang it. Okay. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to make some changes. Is there, is there, is there a reason, is there a reason you weren't on the show? Do you have like some big event coming up soon? Or actually by the time this is released already had the big event? Maybe? Wow. That's a great question. Well, yes, I am. <clears throat> well, by the time, like uh, as, as of recording, as of today and, and last night when we had the interview, I was thick up to my waist in preparation um, with uh, wedding planning because I'm getting married really soon. I'm super excited about that. Yeah. All congratulations. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, so you're not, you're not going to have to masturbate anymore. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you like that? Did you like that segue? Wow, that was <laughs> Oh, come on. <laughs> Matt, that was like a pro, man. That was that was professional right there. But I I could I couldn't help myself. I'm sorry. I apologize. Forgive me. Father, forgive me for I have well, sinned. Wow. No, actually that's a that's a great segue into our topic of the day, which is which is really all about masturbation. And um I'm I personally I just think that this is a topic that um I, I just feel like masturbation as a topic first of all you know it's either it's either joked about you know in culture and society it's it's treated very you know like it's 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 a joke or it's treated shameful so there's i think there's a mix there's a there's a level of shame um that's interjected into the entire topic and so you know what do you do with shame you know humor is a way to make something a little bit light more lighthearted or avoidance altogether especially in the in in, in the christian world i mean it's just 
I mean, there's just no, there's no discussion about it other than how wrong it is. Um, but what's, what's interesting is that almost, almost universally all human beings have experience with masturbation. All the studies point to that. If you meet somebody who has not had experience with masturbation, you're talking to a rare individual. Or a so, liar. I mean, we, or, a, <laughs> right. or a liar. I was just about to say so, that. So, so something that affects that that so many people have, you know, has 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 been affected by. I just feel like, that, gosh, if it's so universally experienced, why is it so difficult to have conversation about this topic? I think it's the inherent um, shamefulness of it, right? I think that because there is. Um, you know, it's just something that happens that we all do it, but we don't, you know, we don't brag about it. We're like, hey, hey, sorry, I'm late. I was, you know, I was, I was uh, tossing off in the bathroom. Like we don't just, we don't, we don't. Uh, <laughs> I think we should do <laughs> Maybe that. we should do more of that. Well, I will say, I think that I like, that's one thing I really liked about what Cindy was saying in the interview. Um, like from a, as a, from a parental perspective, if we don't make a big deal about it with our kids, then maybe they won't make a big deal about it either. Right. And so I think if, if we could ever maybe reach the point in our society, in our culture, and in our communities where we just, we don't make a big deal about it, where we don't attribute shame to it, um, then, then, you know, then we could reach a point where it isn't a big deal. And maybe then we could talk about it, you know, in a way that would be like, well, yeah, we could actually just acknowledge it and, and move on. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I love when, when Cindy was saying that, I was thinking of a, a different topic, but cussing. Like in my house, we don't obviously make a big deal of cussing because I, I cuss like a sailor. But my daughter is eight and she doesn't see it as a big deal. And it's never once been a problem. And sometimes she does say shit. Like she said bullshit once in the perfect context and it was hilarious. But but in school, we don't get, you know, we don't get calls from home or we, we don't get talks to, with the teacher or in her dance studio. We never hear anything like that. But on the flip side, like I was told cussing was really bad and I was always told not to cuss. And when I was a kid, I didn't cuss and see how I turned out. So I, I think <laughs> I think, yeah, when we when we make something a huge deal, like we turn it into this weird thing that that we feel ashamed about, you know, so um if we're shaming masturbation and we're telling people not to do it, read this book and this will help you not do it. Well, when we do it, all we're going to feel is that burden of guilt and shame. And if we just if we just made it not a huge issue and just talked about it, I don't know, maturely and not just say like the end all be all is making something taboo because it's not and it doesn't work. So if you, I mean, if you didn't want people to masturbate, and I'm not saying this should be my advice, but if you didn't want people to masturbate, you wouldn't make it such a huge deal. And we make it a huge deal in the religious world, the Christian world. Um, but then I would say that masturbation is a total normal thing that everyone does, and it's been shown to be quite healthy, actually. I mean, well, yeah, I saw that. Well, can, coming, can we can we talk okay. about that a little bit, Matt? I mean, um, I don't. I know you probably don't have a stack of statistics or, or you know a, a Harvard study or something in front of you, but just in general, can you can we talk about like what are the positive uh, positive effects or impact of, of masturbation? Well, I think um, it. Pro- I mean, it releases endorphins and all those good hormones. And I mean, I'll just speak anecdotally and say that like if if I'm feeling stressed or um, bottled up. <laughs> to be, to be punny. Um, 
if I masturbate and then I'm writing or something, like I don't have that stress or pent up rage, I'll call it. So I'm just, this is just anecdotal. And I, you know, it just, it helps you get through your day. You don't have to worry. You don't have to have that. Um, I mean, I'm not a teenage boy, so I'm not waking up with a boner every day like like teenage boys do. And it doesn't go away. Like, I mean, we've probably all had those experiences. Like, what do I do with this? How am I supposed right. to go throughout my day? Um, but it, But even as an adult, like it's still it still helps get your mind off that sort of like pent upness. That's not a word, but it is now. Um, and so it just helps free you up to do the things that you need to do without having that like looming over you. I don't know. It just helps me. It helps me relax. It helps me yeah. not be stressed out. Yeah, I, I <clears throat> no, know. I agree. And I think, um, that is that there have been studies about that. And just from a purely, you know, uh, emotional, biological, psychological standpoint, um, minus the shame, right? So once you add shame to it, then no, it isn't healthy because then uh, you 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 get the benefit physically, you get the benefit yeah. psychologically, but that lasts for a few seconds before the guilt and the shame come in, and now you're yes, what yes. Have I so then done? actually, then it becomes a negative <laughs> thing. So, but if we can remove uh, the guilt and the shame from it, then it does it does become something where it's like, look, I physically I feel this pressure, I have to relieve it, or uh, or, or whatever the reasons are, right? Then you just take care of it and you move on with your life. And and if you can do that, then yes, there are plenty of positive uh, benefits of that. And uh, yeah, but but unfortunately, yeah. But the, it's I think it really to me it comes back down to the guilt and the shame part of it. Where uh, and again, this is we have to point the finger at, uh, especially here in, in, in the West, uh, with evangelical Christianity, right? Mainline Christians. Um, pretty much across the board have this uh stigma and attitude attached that um that if you do that if you if you masturbate you're a, kind of a sick twisted you know uh, person and you need to be you need to stop doing that and you need some help you know uh rather than no you're a human being and this is just one of the things that human beings do uh as a normal behavior yeah <clears throat> yeah you need some help from a pastor who's exactly. probably beaten off. I mean, come on. Well, <laughs> well please wash you know, your hands so. when you're done. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, man. You got, you got two on one episode. Oh, my God. I, I think, you know, so, here's a thought, and this is something that's actually really bothered me. And, you know, I have found I found myself bothered by this and I, I've never, I don't know if I had words for it until, you know, uh, doing more thinking as an adult on the topic, but it, even going back to my childhood, I, there was something that felt really wrong about the way, the way society, you know, even understands and it refers to are like our body parts, you know, specifically our genitals. So for example, I think, I think, and again, not to be nitpicky or I'm not trying to be, you know, come at this from a judgmental place, but they're just something that feels dishonoring. Like, I don't know. I think about when I think, we think of my, the way I'm approaching this is our bodies are, I mean, I really feel this way. I really believe this way. Our bodies are sacred because we are, we are sacred beings. You know, we are, I mean, I believe that we are these divine beings, you know, ha having an ex a human experience. Um, we're spiritual in nature. And so like our physical bodies are, are, are manifestations of, of, of our, of our spiritual nature. Like, so it's, and that's the idea that everything, even the physical world is representative of, you know, if everything, you know, again, going back to, um, 
this concept that that Christ, the manif- that everything, the, the material world is the manifestation of Christ, then man, everything that we're, we're talking about, material matter itself, is a, is a reflection or manifesting something, some quality of the divine. So, our bodies are very sacred; they 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 are expressions of our consciousness, and so our genitals are a part of that. So, like, you know, one of the things in the East, in the Eastern um, in, in India, the, the Sanskrit was the root of the Indian languages, but the, in the Sanskrit, the word for penis is actually, it actually, and I, this is not to be funny, but this is actually the meaning of the Sanskrit word for penis is wand of light. Is actually how it's referred to. <laughs> I mean, it's serious though. <laughs> I'm totally using that. But it, it's I'm true totally though. It's true. I, I, oh, I, I, so the idea behind that though is like, hey, this is your, th- this is actually an instrument of light. This is an, actually an instrument of love. So to, to approach, so in the West though, and maybe, and maybe not just the West, but why is it that um, our genitals are used for such derogatory like nicknames for our genitals are used to actually describe negative things. So for example, like a female, the female genital, you know, for vagina is like, you know, the slang term is, you know, is used to, it's a Yoni. Well, that's, that's the, that's the, that's the, uh, I think the, uh, an honoring word, but like the way it's typical. No, no, I know. It's a typical word that's used in our culture, you know, is, you know, we call people, at least in, in, in male, uh, in male constructs, you know, the, the you know you you'd call you call somebody a pussy because if they're weak you know they're because they're like they don't have you know strength or whatever and it's like wait a minute how does the female genital get, genital get to be representative of something that's weak or something that's you know what because it's like right. that, I, yeah you ever yeah it, it's you ever been hitting the balls we should we should flip that whole thing <laughs> yeah you know this this it's turning into a vagina monologue I mean because the, because the uh... yeah and you, you guys you guys probably know Betty White she was one of the Golden Girls um, on TV you know oh, yeah. <laughs> there's a quote there's a quote attributed to her Golden Girl she says why do people say grow some balls balls are weak and sensitive <laughs> if you want to be tough grow a vagina those things can take a pound. <laughs> It's just a, it's a, a quote from um, from Betty White, but but seriously though, like that, that's that's always been a like a, when I hear it, it just something inside me cringes, and and the same thing for the male anatomy. <clears throat> you know, we're talking about uh, a penis. Like, why is it why is it referred to in such a derogatory way? You know, you call somebody that's an, <clears throat> basically you call somebody who's an asshole or is acting like an asshole. You call him a dick. You know, and it's like, well, wait a minute. Um, do we do are we really ref- so how is it that the penis has come to mean such derogatory such a derogatory thing you know of uh it's a symbol of aggression or it's a symbol of of, of you know it's it's again how we refer i know it's like people aren't consciously thinking of these things when they're using this language but it, i just feel like there's got to be a way in as we're educating especially as children as we're coming to learn about our own bodies that we're seeing our genitals as sacred, not, not as these profane, shameful things, you know, and even how we talk about them, it's like, wow, we really, you know, you know, the the way we talk about our bodies or our private parts are so, I think it's revealing as a culture of actually some deep seated ways we're viewing ourselves. So, you know, again, our sexual, as human beings, we're not born with a robust sexuality in the sense of that we, we, uh, we feel that that we're operating it, it this is something that matures with age so obviously as you're getting older your sexuality is budding 
and you're, you know, you're, you're actually going to experience sexual feelings in your body and how we like understand that is a process. It should not be okay. You know, as children, you don't even talk about it. And then suddenly in adolescence, it's like, shamed yeah or it's not even discussed it's like i don't, I don't you know and, and then it's we're expected to go right into adulthood and sexual and having a sexually active life without baggage it's like no how we begin to how we like nurture and blossom children's sexuality is so vitally important and i think it starts with how we refer to our genitals yeah. like how do we actually understand them what's the purpose of them the the answer is to use the term wand of light yes well, you know, it's, it's funny because you were talking, the, Jamal, I was, it was making me think of First Corinthians, what is it, First um, Corinthians 12 or whatever, where Paul talks about, he's talking about the church and using the metaphor of a body, and he talks about the, the uh, sort of the unseemly parts are the ones we should give more honor to. And I know he's using this as a metaphor for the church, but yet... It, sure. That there is an application there where create, he's actually Paul in that in that passage is actually kind of saying what you're saying is that the parts of the body that we tend to um, we want we want to say oh we got to cover that up I'm, I'm embarrassed by that no we should give more honor to those so it's kind of interesting yeah what well, that is interesting that's a great point Keith what if seriously like what if as we are coming to understand our bodies we actually think of our genitals as a as a body part that you honor as sacred. Like, is that even, what would that conversation even be like? Yeah. Like, you know, because so much, and also there's a lot of fear. First of all, there's been a lot of abuse, sexual abuse, and, and there's a lot of fear around that. So, you know, children are often educated about their genitals as privates and like, these are okay. Things you don't, you know, these are privates. These are, but a lot of it is based around like, Hey, no one, no one should touch you and that kind of thing, which is totally understandable. And important because of all the abuse that's gone on. But if all the conversation around our body parts is, Hey, this is private. This is like, you don't, nobody, it's almost like this idea of, it's kind of like hidden behind this thing of like, that's just a private part. You don't, it, here's what you don't do with this. And here's what people aren't allowed to do, which is totally understandable. But like, is there a way to educate children, even in the way from the very beginning, how, how you refer to your genitals as like, um, like this is, just like all parts of our body, but this is a, this is actually a sacred um, part of you that, as you grow older and get in, move into adulthood, is going to be a very powerful part of your life. Yeah, yeah. So I have a, I have a question for you guys. Have uh, have either of you ever been caught jerking it? <laughs> uh. You know, you know, I love my my awkward segue. That, that was the perfect segue there. Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Jamal or Matt, have you guys ever been caught in the act? I haven't. I haven't actually. No, I haven't. For, and, and which is surprising for as much yeah, as well, I've done. Yeah. It. So uh, actually, I I have been, and um, so I guess I'm going to tell my story. It's not that it's not that exciting, but um, you, you but I'm just going to gonna, I'm going to come on out here and, and, and confess. So <clears throat> when I was in, um, you know, when I was kind of hit puberty. Before I tell you the getting caught story, I'm just going to tell this little, this little, uh, how, how I just even discovered, you know, hey, there's this thing that my penis does more than pee. Um, I, I, I had a, had an erection. Um, probably, I mean, I think I'd had them before, but at this time I, I had one and it felt really good. You know, I was like, man, it feels really, really good. And so I was in my room, right? And then, you know, then I ejaculated and it was, it scared the crap out of me. Cause I was like, what is this thing? Like, no one ever told me anything at all. I didn't even know what had just happened. And, but then it's like, well, do I tell my parents about it? Cause like, 
Do I need to go to the doctor? <laughs> I literally, I just had no idea. And this is before the internet. So I couldn't look it up and, or even, you know, in some way, just even find out what just came out of my penis. And, um, is that normal? You know, is that a normal? Thing? Is that what is is that what you would have googled? <laughs> what? Dear Google, what just came out of my penis? Um, what just happened? Well, no, but I'm not kidding you. I mean, that literally was that was my that's what I was thinking. Like, I, I was kind of scared and freaked out, but I didn't. I had no one to talk to. I didn't have any brothers or sisters either, right? So it's just me, and I'm not. Gonna, and I'm sure as hell not going to mention this to my friends at school. Um. So anyway, you know, then, then like a few days later, I, I did it again. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess this is kind of normal. So then, you know, then I kind of got into that. And um, it was probably a few months later, you know, and then um, I was in the bathroom. <laughs> this is so bad. <laughs> uh, I was in the bathroom and I was, uh, you know, I was masturbating. And I thought, you know, the doors were locked and I was fine. And my parents would assume I was, you know, just going to the toilet. Rookie mistake. Yeah. But here's the, here's the thing about... So at the time I lived, my parents and I, we lived in a trailer, like a mobile home. And um, the the bathroom, there was only one bathroom. It was a pretty big master bathroom. But to get to my parents' bedroom, you kind of had to go through the bathroom because their their bedroom was in the very back of the, of the mobile home. And um, as I was like right there doing that, my dad walked right through. And uh, <laughs> this is the oddest thing about it. So I freeze, right? Because he, because like I'm caught. I'm like, oh crap! And my dad just walks right by me, goes into his bedroom, gets whatever it was he needed, and and walked out and shut the door. He didn't say a word, and he never mentioned it to me. Wow, that's gangster. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, Keith, well, Keith, first of all, thank you for sharing that. That's that's uh, that's a vulnerable story. Um, but that's. Seriously, though, I think um, I think a lot of people have this experience. And what you're describing, though, is super interesting because it like even like so from your not not to knock on your parents or anything like that. But but honestly, it is, you know, I, I think when I started when I was like a early teenage years and I and I think I started to get into masturbation. But I, I it, you know, and of course I've read things where like parents are like, well, my teenage son is yeah. taking longer showers and <laughs> spending much more time, you know, in the bathroom, that kind of thing. I think my mom made reference to that one time, like taking off along in there. And she had this, it, the look on her face was like, not, <laughs> not typical. So it was like, Oh, okay. And she's alluding to something. And I felt yeah. instantly, I just felt shame. Um, so it's, this is this. And so, and, but that's it. It, there's, there's, how do we, like, there's no tools, no talk. It's like, right. we can't talk about this. We can't go there. It just, it just communicated like, this is so shameful. We can't even like, for example, if you were snorting a line of Coke and your dad walks in, you know, probably he's going to address it. Probably. Um, yeah. Or, 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 or you or know, or if coke. it's anything, you know, right. Uh, Give me that. <laughs> Where'd you get that? <laughs> well, just depending, depending on your situation at home, but like, you know, it's, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But it's like, of course, that's a very negative example of like, okay, we have to address this. But this is like so it's viewed such so in such a negative way, but it triggers people's own internal sense of shame. A parent, like, first of all, your your dad probably understands what masturbation is, but it's almost like it's so shameful. It's like, I can't even talk about this. But I wonder, and also, I remember having a friend, <clears throat> she grew up in a very, um, a very strict religious, you know, home. And, um, very, not a healthy, like very fundamentalist kind of thing. And, uh, when she got her period, uh, around, you know, 10, 11 years old or whatever, um, they, 
like her parents actually made fun of her. Like her mother oh, really shamed, shamed, shamed what? her. You're kidding. For, yeah. Well, like kind of had these, these comments almost like, almost like a derogatory, just a way to, and she felt very dirty about it, of course. And Ugh. you know, that, that is also very revealing of, um, of how we view our humanity and our sexuality and different things. So here's, so, but I also have heard the opposite. So like my, my fiance, um, when she got her period, you know, she talks about this, like, I think she, they was, they celebrated it. Um, I think they might've went out to eat. Like they had, it was like a, a mark of celebration. Like, okay, you're entering, you know, you, you've just crossed into a miles. It's kind of like this rite of passage where you're, you're now, it's a sign that you're growing up and you're maturing and your body's actually doing what it's supposed to, what's designed to do. And, you know, it's, um, and I wonder like as men and just speaking, you know, from the male, because I, and again, masturbation is, is mistakenly commonly seen as just a male issue. It's not, you know, women masturbate, uh, almost as much as men do in a lot of the studies. Um, but, but it, it, it is seen that. though as, as a male thing, but I wonder if it's, if we're not missing an opportunity and maybe this is another conversation, but how like a rite of passage, what if, I mean, cause men are, you know, as you're, you're moving from boyhood into manhood, there's a transition, you know, you're transitioning. It's not overnight, but what the, but a hallmark, a, a mark of like moving into this is like, yeah, the first time I know this might sound crazy, but like, what if the first time <laughs> a boy masturbates that could actually, you go to, you know, like be prepared for like, because, you know, before right. a, a girl gets her period, you know, it's talked <laughs> about like, Hey, this is probably going to happen to your body in a healthy way. It's like preparing the girl. There's going to be right. a day when this happens and I don't want you to be, you know, freaked out. But like for you, Keith, like, it's like, Oh, yeah. th- this just happened. Am I dying? Is this crazy? Right. No. Like no one ever exactly. talked to you about this. So we should go to, we should go to dinner. Like if the first time we masturbate, we come out, we're like, Hey, can we go to dinner now? No, but I, I, I really well, like the spirit of what you're saying, Jamal. Like what if it's, you know, no, I know I'm, I'm, a, I'm just messing if we had a culture where, like, for example, let's suppose that that I had the courage to do that, or or even, well, to back it up, what would have been better is if my parents knew, had been proactive and said, okay, we can see Keith is, uh, you know, he's starting to get some, grow some hair and his body's changing and he's probably going to move into the stage very soon. Let's let him know that these things are going to happen to him and let him know that if these things happen, he should let us know and that we're, we're here, we're going to be firm. Uh, this is a very natural thing. Then, then I would have told them, "Hey, this thing happened to me," and I would have felt safe communicating that to them. And then, if they, and if their reaction totally. was something like, "Oh, that's awesome! Wow, Keith, you're becoming a man. This is a beautiful thing, right? This is a normal thing. This we should celebrate the fact that your body is behaving the way God designed it to behave." And then, yeah, why not? Let's go out to dinner. Let's celebrate. You're becoming an adult. You're becoming a man. Uh, how much totally. more affirming and beautiful would that be? Like that's that's awesome. Well, yeah. And you're also preparing, I think you're preparing for a healthy sex life in the adulthood because so much on, and a lot of sex therapists have talked about like how uh, the unconscious views towards like, okay, so if you as a teenage boy are like viewing orgasm um, in the, in, behind a closet of shame and you got to kind of do this really quick to get this over with um, because it's such a shame, shameful act. Well, that doesn't just turn off like your unconscious views towards that. So like how, like what if what if um you're you, just to to understand hey what you're experiencing in your body is for the purpose of connection it's for the purpose of love so like you're you can you can be thankful for your body you can like feel your own heart as you're going through this experience like you can connect to yourself because eventually as you when you get into adulthood and, and into relationship like this is 
like this whole sexual act is a way to serve and honor and bring love. And so like, if you're, if you're, if it's, if the beginnings of it are such are clouded in such shame, I just can't help but think that how much, how much uh, does this lead to a, a shadow side of sexuality, which I think a lot of the pornography industry is to be completely honest. Yes. And then like, how does that affect us in our relationships and going into marriage and things like that? So what if it could be celebrated? Like, Hey, yeah. you know, what would it look for, for, for a man to celebrate his son? Um, as he's going through this transition period or mothers celebrating their sons as well. Um, you know what I mean? Like, and again, this is not just, I'm speaking from a male perspective, but like women, this is also something that affects maybe not to the same degree because physiology is a little bit different, but not, but women do masturbate and masturbate from very young age. And so that needs to be, we just need a real way to, because this is such the beginnings of our sexuality. If it's covered in shame, it's yeah. really hard to get out of that. Yeah, I totally agree, man. I think it would be a beautiful thing if yeah. we really did have, um, you know, if, if we even as a culture just, um, if we saw it and treated that these kinds of physiological changes in young people as they were, as they were entering puberty, um, if we communicated to them, this is normal, this is natural, we're going to celebrate this. This is because as parents, for example, you know, you understand that this is the way that I'm going to have grandchildren one day, right? This is, in other words, this is a celebration of life. This is a celebration of hmm. of good things that are coming, good, good, hap- healthy, natural, beautiful things uh, that are coming in the in the future of our child, and we should celebrate all of that because all of it is worth celebrating. And, and look, let's be really honest, especially as Christians, don't we think God created all of that? Didn't God intend all of this to be something that was pleasurable and good? And, and, and normal and healthy. So why are we attaching shame to parts of that? That is like so stupid. Well, I think, and I think it comes down to how do we view our humanity? You know, are we good people or are we shameful, sinful, dirty people? And that's the ultimate, you know, we're wretched, yeah, wretched yeah. worms. We're wretched worms. And if you masturbate, you're wretched Well, Richard Wirth Richard said, he said, you know, if you begin with a negative anthropology, you end with a negative anthropology. It doesn't matter how much God loves you in the middle of it, you put. Yep. So and I, maybe we could say that about our sexuality though. If it begins negative yep. and in shame. shame. How do you, yep. you, you kind of like, it's hard to get out of that unless you, unless you reframe the entire understanding of sexuality, not from a place of shame, but from a place of honor. Yeah. I like that. Uh, and again, I think, I think the conversation yeah. of like how we talk about our bodies is so body parts, sexual organs, all of that from the very beginning should be reframed by my understanding of that, my opinion. Yeah. I totally agree, man. I couldn't agree yeah. with you more. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, that was fun. This is a good episode. I'm glad we did. I'm glad yeah, we, almost I'm glad we did this one. <laughs> I think uh, we all, yeah, we all, we almost did it, but I'm glad we did. Yeah, me too. Fun. Me three. I think it's helpful to have these dialogues. Yeah, me three. It is. It is. So, you know, on second thought, parents, go ahead and let your kids listen to this episode because you do need to listen to this with your kids and talk to your kids about everything we just talked about. <laughs> That's a good point. This is very true. Or at least talk to them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>